Well, today is the conclusion of our churchwide Bible study in the book of Nehemiah, and we're going to be kicking into the final chapter, chapter 13. You know, this has really been good for me personally, just pastorally and personally, uh, kind of all around. I feel like I've learned so much just in my walk with the Lord and to learn a little more of the context of that really important book where God is rebuilding walls, restoring his work, and awakening the hearts of the people to explore and experience revival. How many know God this, in this hour of the Western World Church is rebuilding walls, restoring the work of God. He wants to awaken the hearts of the people that we might walk in a greater spirit of revival. So the very thing we've been studying about, we see a parallel to modern day times. And I thought it was really interesting. Um, I just was impressed to, to actually share this with you. You know, you, you hear me say often, um, our go-to to encourage people to make sure you're consistently in the Word and that you're actually reading the Word. You know, it is amazing the high number of percentage of pastors who've not read the Bible through. Uh, that's kind of mind-boggling to me. Uh, but also even higher number, obviously, of Christians that just don't read their Bible or that would say, you know, they, they read from time to time, come to church, but don't really read or haven't read the Bible through. So we're, we're addressing that and trying to conquer that by encouraging everybody just to get an old-fashioned Bible, start in the book of Genesis, and um, just every day write the date at the top of the page, and every day turn one page. And in a course of two and a half years, you're through the Bible. So I, we've been practicing this as a family for years. Um, I recently started in the uh, Amplified Translation uh, as I started over in a new Bible. But yesterday morning, uh, I just encountered the Lord in a remarkable way, and I felt like it was really in alignment with where we're going today. And I, I want to just point this out to you. Um, I, first, when I get up in the morning, you know, everybody has their routine of prayer, and it's different for different stages and seasons of life. When you have little kids, if you're a single parent, um, your prayer time is going to be different than, uh, you know, somebody whose kids are out of the house or old enough to take care of themselves, as uh, our case would be. But in the morning, I just, you know, my routine now in this season of my life is I brew the coffee, and I get ready, and I just sit down, and before I get to the Word... And I want you to hear this. This is really important. Before I get to Scripture, I want to just take a moment and sit with the author. Don't just read the book. <laughs> Learn to sit with the author. Uh, and so I'm just listening to the Lord, and then I'll write maybe a five, ten-word prayer, and I'll just put it up there by the date and put a little prayer. And I'm thinking if I had five generations before me, a great, great, great grandfather or grandmother that had passed down a Bible that had her prayers, like that would be a treasure to me. I didn't get it, but I'm going to give it. I mean, you know, you can give what you didn't get in the kingdom of God. He's a father to the fatherless. He'll awaken that within you and help you leave a legacy. And so I just sat there and I just felt the Lord was prompting me to pray this prayer. In fact, I've got a picture of my uh, page. We can pop that up. But I, I prayed the prayer at the top. Lord, deepen our love for you your people, and your work. It's a pretty simple uh, prayer. And you'll notice on the page, everywhere I read the word heart, I always draw a heart around it because I'm amazed at how much the Bible addresses the heart. A word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against God. And so I just began to pray that, and, um, and I hadn't started reading. I wasn't thinking about today, which is what we're about to talk about. And then I started reading in that text, and it was all about 
having a heart for God, having a heart for God's people, and having a heart for God's work as God placed all these skills and abilities in the people. This is in the book of Exodus where I'm reading my personal journal uh, time. Uh, but it's all these skills and abilities that exist within people doing different things. And how beautiful is it that we're the body of Christ, this tapestry of uniqueness. And all of us uh, really coming into the fullness of what he designed us to be is the release of the body of Christ in the earth. And, uh, you know, I just think it's, it's great. You're not going to have the same heart as somebody else. Uh, the, the passion that you have, don't get mad because somebody else doesn't have your passion. You just be faithful to your passion. Uh, your cross doesn't fit their shoulder. I've had to learn that, right? And we want to be just Christ-centered. We're never going to be cause-centered as a church family. You need to know that. We're not going to pick up a cause and suddenly become a cause-centered driving church because we want to be Christ-centered. There are many causes that really matter to the heart of God. But we want to stay focused on Jesus and the cross of Jesus Christ, win people to the Lord, mobilize them to become the church in, in their everyday life. And, and that's what has happened in the book of Nehemiah. And then we see kind of a tragic conclusion in many ways in this Nehemiah chapter 13. So if you'll turn in your Bible, Nehemiah chapel, chapter 13. I want to title this last chapter today, Casual Casualties. Casualties speak of the loss of life or the diminishment of life. And the beginning of the word casualty is casual. And so this is an important word, an important concept as we look at it, because if we become casual about that which God desires for us to be intentional, then there will be a diminished capacity to experience what God desires for you to know. Think about what I'm saying. It's, it's, it's in a place of worship like we just experienced where we said, let's be even more intentional. We're intentional in the moment, and, and our church worships from the heart. I'm, I'm really appreciative of the way of the worship that we have. And we often say, you know, thank God for our worship team. They really lead, and they do, and I, I'm thankful for that. But thank God for a church family that just really presses in. Because, like, I, I know there are churches where people just kind of stand don't really engage. They're just kind of watching the singers. And, and I, just, I know the Lord wants to open our hearts to go to these deeper places and, and, and really recognizing what that means and learn to be intentional about the reading of Scripture. Learn to be intentional about your time in the Word. Learn to be intentional about your time of prayer. Um, there, Tuesday morning we come in here for 6 a.m. prayer. And there have been a couple of times, I don't want to embarrass Mama Brown, but I hear her back there. And sometimes on Tuesday morning, I just kind of stand behind her and I just listen to her. She's pulled out these pieces of paper and she is like, I mean, it's like blows to the jaw of the devil. Every time she's declaring, it's just like wham, wham, wham. And I'm just standing there like, yeah, what she said, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's just powerful. I mean, prayer, I mean, you understand prayer really changes things. Do you believe that? then why don't we pray more? Why don't we engage more in a place of prayer? And not necessarily more, like do more, and you know, God's not going to love you more if you pray more. It's not like that. But God wants to deepen something in our hearts where we become very strategically intentional about the things he desires for us to explore and experience and express in the world in which we live, and the world becomes a better place. We become better at uh, just walking with the Lord when we really become intentional and we choose not to just be casual about those things. And if we are casual about those things, then there are casualties 
that result. You and I cannot afford to be casual about what the Bible describes as a fight. I know this is not a very sanctified question, but how many of you have been in a physical fight before? Just raise your hand, two hands here, all right? If you get in a physical fight, you cannot afford to be casual. Like if you drop your hands, you get in a boxing ring, you just drop your hands and you're casual. It's not going to go well for you. You're in a spiritual battle. Your fight really matters in the rest of our lives. I want you to hear this. Your fight really matters in the rest of our lives. Your fight really matters in the lives of your children. I believe I'm living in some sense of victory from my great-grandmother, Bertha Swilling, who fought to serve the Lord. I believe her prayers, actually, though there was a gap between her before you know, the legacy was awakened to really serve the heart of Jesus, I believe her prayers awakened something in the atmosphere of my life. And as my mom would, uh, over here would pray and believe God for me, uh, her prayers connected with her grandmother's prayers, and something in my life began to be awakened, and I came out of drugs. I came off of the, the you know, nonsense lifestyle that I was engaged in, trying to find some sense of fulfillment. I was medicating with a number of different things to the point of overdose in my life. I am so thankful. This last week I posted on my social media, I figured out my spiritual birthday was Thursday. That's when I gave my life to Jesus 38 years ago. And I was just like, man, I'm alive. I used to be dead, and I'm alive. I found this picture of me right before I met the Lord, and I was almost getting my mullet on. I posted that. It was just the beginning stages. I wasn't like an OSU coach or anything, but I was, I was working on it. Nehemiah chapter 13, God's people had become casual. They, they rebuilt the walls. They reestablished the work. The revival had happened. You remember, we, we read all this together. They, they actually made public commitments. We are going to serve God. We're, gonna, we're not going to intermarry with those that are Gentile and unbelievers. And I mean, they, all these commitments. We're going to honor the Sabbath. We're going to, all these public commitments. And then we get into this final chapter, and Nehemiah is absent from the picture in this final chapter. We don't really know how long he was gone. But what we do know is he had political responsibilities with King Artaxerxes. This is where this all started in the beginning of the book. And he gained permission to get free from uh, King Artaxerxes' responsibilities, obligations. He came, he awakened God's people, rebuilt, restored. God was moving mightily. And now he's returned to the king. And this is where we pick up Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 6. Lord, I want to thank you for your word <sighs> through the ages people have literally died to be able to get God's word to future generations literally giving their lives falling under tremendous persecution and I want to thank you that we have the privilege as kings and priests to enter into the most holy place in the way we read your word. We are doing more than reading a book. We're encountering the author. So would you cause the words of Scripture to spring to life within us? For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, dividing soul from spirit, helping us to know the difference.
So awaken that, Lord, within our hearts. Even as we read, when we come together like this, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. All the people who are hungry for the word said, Amen. Amen. We'll look at the whole chapter. I'm going to read a lot of it, but we're going to pick up in verse 6. While this was taking place, I was not in Jerusalem. Nehemiah was gone. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king. And after some time, I asked leave of the king and came to Jerusalem. And then I discovered the evil that Eliashib had done. This is the priest. He had done this evil for Tobiah. If you remember in the beginning, Tobiah was Sanballat's cohort in warring against the work of God. Tobiah had married into believers, and yet he didn't believe. And so this is a big theme we see in the book of Nehemiah, and we're going to read it again in a few moments. I want to say to you loud and clear, do not be unequally yoked. The dating world that you and I have in the context of our society will confuse so much of the way you're supposed to walk this out. And, and just the idea of just dating whoever you meet and, and feeling romantically inclined and then you kind of find out if they really are, they know, do they know the Lord? What you do is you start to fall in love emotionally without ever evaluating spiritually do they have the foundation upon which a genuine relationship that pursues the heart of God. This is pretty important. Because you can control who you date, you cannot control who you fall in love with. How many know you fall in love with somebody, you lose your mind? How many know somebody who's done it? How many of you yourself have done it? Come to your senses. This was Tobiah, a very dangerous enemy to the work of God, an unbeliever who had gotten in because of an unyoked situation. And it says... uh, the priest had done this evil work for Tobiah, preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. In other words, he gave him a place of leadership in the house of God. Wasn't even a believer. Gave him a place of leadership in the house of God, a place in the chamber. <laughs> and I was very angry, Nehemiah said. I threw out all of his household furniture. That'd be fun. I threw it out of the chamber, and then I gave orders, and they cleansed the chambers, and I brought back there the vessels of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. I also found out that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them, so that the Levites and the singers who did the work had fled each to his field. Do you understand what's going on here? They had become casual about their worship in the realm of giving. And so those that were supposed to be leading ministry in the gathering of the people couldn't afford to do that work. They had to go get jobs. So casual resulted in casualty even in that regard. Verse 11, so I confronted the officials and said, why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their stations. Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain, wine, and oil into the storehouses. Verse 15, in those days I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath. Think about this for a moment. I'm really tempted to dig into this just a bit, but I'm going to resist that. We're going to talk about this. 
The most neglected of the Ten Commandments is honor the Sabbath. It's crazy. There's not a single commandment in the Ten Commandments that you would neglect or ignore except that. And it's just because sociologically, culturally, there's a paradigm around it that just says, we live in a society that does not accommodate the Sabbath. Well, let me just tell you something. We live in a society that does not accommodate somebody who's married to one man, one woman for life. But we read that in Scripture, so we honor that in His Word, and we live that out. And I mean, this is going to be a deep, deep issue that we're all going to have to navigate through. Tracy and I are really praying into what this is. We had a lengthy conversation yesterday morning. What does this look like? And I don't think it looks the same for everybody. We're not going to get into legalism, but... Be forewarned, I think the Lord is really wanting to awaken this. In fact, Lord, we just, we just say we want to honor you. We know you've given us your word. And um, we know we live in a world that's developed all kinds of ideology that's completely contrary to biblical theology. But here we are gathering under the supreme authority of God as revealed in Scripture. So help us to grow in that. Help us not only to grow in that, but help us, Lord, to lead our children in this so that they don't grow up not understanding some of the most important things, Lord, that you reveal in your word. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. <clears throat> How many of you are nervous? Let's just be honest. How many of you are nervous after that little spiel? I'm nervous for you and me. In those days I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. Verse 17, Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil thing, evil thing, that you're doing profaning the Sabbath day. It's not just a bad thing. This is evil according to Scripture. This is wild. Verse 23, In those days also I saw the Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab, and half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod. They knew the cultural language and paradigm, but they didn't know the Scripture. It's basically what it's saying here. They intermarried with those who weren't believers, unequally yoked, and it began to affect everything about the cultural paradigm of their hearts and lives. They didn't even speak the right language, and they could not speak the language of Judah, but only the language of each people. And I confronted them, and I cursed them, and I beat some of them, and I pulled out their hair. Holy cow. <laughs> That's pretty wild, isn't it? Those are the verses when we don't do expository preaching that you don't read. But like when you're reading each chapter, you need to dive into this stuff. Listen loud and clear. Just because he did that and it's recorded in the Scripture doesn't make his behavior justifiable. His anger is very justifiable. His behavior was a little over the top. I do have two elders who read this and said, we want to implement new procedures. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Howard. <laughs> uh, where was I? 
Verse 25, confronted them, cursed them, beat some of them, pulled out their hair. I made them take an oath in the name of God saying, you shall not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. No intermarrying. I'm going to be involved in these relationships. Do, did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin on account of such women? Among the many nations, there was no king like him. And he was beloved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, foreign women made even him sin. Uh, let's go ahead and just we'll, we'll read verse 30. Thus I cleansed them from everything foreign, and I established the duties of the priests and Levites, each in his work. Verse 31, and I provided for the wood offering at appointed times and for the first fruits wow so these people had been spiritually asleep they then became spiritually awake and now they slowly had drifted back into that space of slumber of slumber you remember the story <coughs> we've shared a few times uh, actually in fuel of fire was when steve upple came and, and shared this but it's this couple from iran and they were part of a church, and they couldn't worship out loud. They had to hide when they would gather. They had to, to hide Scripture. Everything about what was going on was illegal. If they were ever found to be worshiping Jesus in the context of their society, they would be beaten. The women could be raped. It was just incredible. They broke out of that. They came to America. They were blown away. Sound systems blaring worship. They were in a room overwhelmed with how freely we can worship. No, number one, I just want to say a special thank you to those of you who served. I know we celebrated and said thank you last week, but come on, we live in a country that is free, and we say thank you for that freedom. Aren't you thankful we get to worship the Lord our God? I am so grateful. But over the course of a few weeks' time, these people that had come from Iran where they were deep in their pursuit of the, uh, of the heart of God that was very hard and difficult to worship the Lord, they began to experience something in the United States of America that's greatly challenging to me and should be greatly challenging to you. After weeks went by, a few months go by, the lady leans over to her husband during a worship service and she says, uh, there is a satanic lullaby in the Western world church, and I'm starting to get sleepy. I'd rather go back where we were before so we're spiritually alive even if we're physically in danger. Wake us up, Lord. I want to know the days where my shadow actually carries something of substance of the kingdom of God that we read about in the book of Acts. Like where, where my presence, because I carry the presence of God, changes the atmosphere of a room, shifts the region spiritually in a climate where people begin to wake up. One of the guys that serves on our apostolic team in the UK this week is sharing they have had 700 in, in Sri Lanka, this week they have had 700 people first time salvations for Jesus. Come on, I believe God's waking up the earth. One of the very small churches we work with in the UK last year had, uh, in the course of about three months, 80 first-time salvations. And it was just because people in the church started saying, I think I'm going to ask the people God has entrusted to my five-foot circle if they understand what it means to really walk with God. 
if you don't ask, they don't know. Wow. Well, Lord, I don't even know how to uh, carry that in uh, a little deeper, but I just pray you would awaken what that looks like in all of our lives. Every one of us in a different place, in a different space, in a different context. Your people don't need a pastor to go with them to work to share the gospel from a preacher's perspective. <laughs> Your people need to discover the context of their life that you have entrusted to their care. And may we model the life of Christ, demonstrate the love of Jesus, and discern when we sense grace on a conversation just to go a little deeper. Would you begin, Lord, to bring people, we pray, into our proximity that we can share the love and the life of Christ in Jesus' mighty name. If you receive that, say amen. These people had drifted into a place of slumber. And, and that's what we're looking at in all this. And Nehemiah is calling him back. And, and I, I felt like when I was praying into this, the Lord was just reminding me, uh, do you understand that when gradually finally arrives to something good, gradually finally arrives to something good, suddenly gets the credit? You've been working all these years, and all of a sudden, breakthrough, gradually finally arrived, suddenly steals the credit. That's why it takes about 20 years to become an overnight success. It's true. But equally so, when gradually finally arrives for something bad, suddenly gets the blame. Drift is the problem. Casual, casualty. We must not be casual about the things we must, we're called to be intentional about in our pursuit of God and our love for each other and the way we're walking out our faith. These people stopped serving, loving, giving. They disconnected from the uh, passionate pursuit of that which were the priorities of God. And I believe we need to understand sacrificial worship is a purposeful point of resistance that God has determined to exist within our lives. Sacrificial worship is a point of purposeful resistance. It cost you something to make your way through the rain to be here today. It would have been easy just to say, well, it's raining. It costs you something to get up in the morning and sacrificially devote yourself to read and pray and listen to God. Again, just so important you get it, and we need to understand that sacrificial worship is a purposeful point of resistance to the flesh. How many of you want to live by the Spirit and not the flesh? Then stop letting your flesh tell you when you're going to worship. Stop letting your flesh talk you out of prayer. Stop letting your flesh be in control of your life. Worship is this sacrificial disposition that God has purposed where we tell our flesh what our flesh is going to do because we're learning to live by the Spirit and not by the flesh. And worship is that. This is why uh, making decisions against yourself, if you will. That's what you're doing. You're making decisions against yourself, and, and this is something that, in general, we have to learn in life. If you, if you don't learn to make decisions against yourself when it comes to your health, you'll never be healthy. Making decisions against yourself when it comes to your health is about eating right and exercise. I don't want to do it. 
I don't want to. There's sometimes with my exercise routine, which is pretty minimal, but there are times that I say, I don't want to do it. Like a little baby, like a little child throwing a temper tantrum. I don't want to do it. And I'm like, shut up. You're going to do it. Now we're going to do it twice. You know, I mean, uh, fasting and prayer. Like my body's like, I'm hungry. I want to eat. And I'm like, be quiet or we're going to go another meal. I mean, you have to be the adult in the room. <laughs> That's what you have to do. Like, take responsibility. Make decisions against yourself. In the finance realm, this is called budgeting. I'm not just going to spend money on everything I want to spend money on all the time. You make decisions against yourself. The way you spend your money actually should be a sacrificial expression of worship to God. The way you spend your time should become a sacrificial expression of the way you worship your God. I won't waste my time on things that don't have any kind of eternal value Everything in my life, even my rest, my Sabbath, my play, has a purpose eternally in the way I'm supposed to be living my life so I can be stronger in the Lord, more devoted to my family, more committed to this congregational family that we might know the heart of Jesus. This is all of us. This is why Jesus said to find true life, we have to deny ourselves. Do you understand? Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Make decisions against yourself so the kingdom of God can advance. In order for God to be first, you have to not be first. A self-serving perspective always results in the same empty conclusion. It does. Relationally. The more I serve myself, the harder it is on my wife. The harder it is on our marriage. The more I serve myself, the more I serve her, the more I serve my family, the better it is in our relationship. Two words solve a multitude of marriage problems, grow up. That's two words that solve solve it. Because it's childish disposition that demands my way. And I want to grow in the Lord and become more like Christ in every aspect of my life. Relationally, financially, vocational. Vocationally, a self-serving perspective will always result in the same empty conclusion and drift into a place of being casual. We lose sight of the work of God. Being consumed with worldly pleasure robs us of the true treasure of God's kingdom. I just, when I was praying on this and asking the Lord to awaken it in me, I just felt like this, this is such an important statement. Being consumed, what's wrong with that camera? That's that's just not right. When did that happen? (laughs) Being being consumed, speaking of being consumed with vanity, the Lord humbled me from the top to the bottom. (laughs) Being consumed with worldly pleasure robs us of the true treasure of God's kingdom. Listen. The Bible speaks of treasure in this world and the world to come. When you get to heaven, you will not have the opportunity to store up treasure there. Treasure eternally is established by the sacrificial disposition here. You're not only declaring a release for treasure in this world. Jesus said of the rich man who wouldn't give, said, you know, he went and he said, I'm not going to do that. that he, he, because this rich guy, he didn't have a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff had him. That's what happened. 
But he sent him, and then he, he explained to the disciples, because they're like, man, what's up with this? He's had to you know, give all his stuff. And Jesus said, anybody who's given stuff in my name will receive, uh, I forget how many fold, but a whole bunch in response, in, not only in the life to come, but in this world as well. But there are treasures in this world and treasures in the next. And listen, you and your children need to understand this. If you live your life self-absorbed, I don't know if you understand it, but you can tell your children what you believe, but your children are going to see how you behave. If you never include them in being involved in serving in, in your world around you, in your congregational family, and they just show up with you late and jet out early, and, and they never really connect, and you don't involve them in giving in any way, you don't teach them this idea of the sacrificial nature of making decisions against ourselves, drift is going to happen in your life and in your legacy. I appreciate that. One person right up here clapped. I appreciate that because that was, that was a hard one to clap to. Um, I, I'll, just, I'll just conclude. Uh, worship team, won't you guys, if you would go ahead and come up. I do want to say what concerns you is a clue to your call. This is a really important concept. And everybody needs to really concentrate on this for a moment. What concerns you is a clue to your call. Nehemiah was concerned about the condition of the work of God on the earth. He was concerned about it. People heard about it, but he got concerned about it. He wept. Do you remember in the first part of the book of Nehemiah? He wept. He sat down. He fasted. He prayed. He was concerned. What concerns you is a clue to your call. If you're concerned about children coming to know the Lord, then that's a clue to your call. If you're concerned about graphics, if you're concerned about media, if you're concerned about our online family, it's a clue to your call. If you're concerned about worship, if you're concerned whatever it may be, it's a clue to your call. And here's what happens. People get concerned, and that which should be a clue, the enemy converts to criticism, and then they get sideways, and they spin out, rather than pressing in to do something about what it is they're burdened for. The enemy wants to use the very thing God's awakening in you, he tries to use it against you to make you mad at everybody else because nobody's doing this thing that I have a heart for. I mean, that's a bulletin. If you have a heart for it and nobody's doing it, God must be entrusting it to your care. We literally had a family way long time ago. They, they had been, they'd been through so much, and they lived in total poverty. And we loved them forward and did so much to help. They showed up to church, and we had a car parked right about here. This used to be a lawn. We had a car parked here, and everybody came into church, and that car was sitting out there. Really nice, not brand new, but really nice car. Uh, in great shape we had it serviced and looked over and, and make sure as well we filled that car up with groceries and and nobody knew what was going on but in service at the end of the service we called that family up and we just surrounded them we loved them we prayed for them and we said we know you guys have been through so much we want to give you this car this car is full of groceries the car is full of gas they cried the church celebrated it was beautiful some of you were here that morning and the 
we're all on a journey just trying to find our way. But that same family, within six months, came to me, and they literally said, sitting in my office, Pastor, I just want you to know we're leaving the church. I want you to know why. This church doesn't have a heart to help those in desperate need. That was their call. They were to be helped, and then they were to become a part of us having the heart to help even more. But rather, the enemy used the very thing that should have been a tremendous blessing and blessing and platform and launching pad to turn them sour against us. I mean, that's just that's a hard one, isn't it? I remember I wrestled with it so much. God's big enough to handle all of our stuff. Have I mentioned to you how much junk I've carried over the years? Like, I'm not just mad at them for carrying junk. Like, I carry junk. How about you? If you carry junk, just say amen. Come on. We need to be honest about this. Sometimes it's good to just, you know, stop making sure we're not just looking down on somebody to feel better about us. All of us got our stuff. I'm telling you, only Jesus can help you get past your stuff. That's why you've got to learn to make decisions against yourself so your stuff does not have a hold on your life. So this week, take some time. Reflect on Nehemiah's journey. Consider how it applies in your own life. This is your action point. And I want to ask you to repent for anything in your life that's not honoring to the Lord. Any area of neglect where gradually is trying to get in there and create casualty and conclusion, suddenly is going to show up. You're going to give the blame to suddenly when actually it was gradual. Where there's any area of your life you've grown casual, if your pursuit of God is casual, listen, I say repent. Like for real. I'm not, that's not just, you know, church language. Like really repent. Stop going that way and go a different direction. And when you allow God to awaken your heart, things begin to change. We meet on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. to come in this room and pray. I would invite you, come early to church on Sunday. Don't just show up on time. Come early. Let's come together and let's pray. Something about that, that time of prayer releases something to the atmosphere of this room that we're experiencing and enjoying right now. Tuesday morning, 6 a.m., we'll be in this room. I would invite you, sacrificially step into some of these things. I had somebody this last week say, I've been meaning to come to prayer. I keep thinking I'm going to come to prayer. And then I just, my alarm goes off and I just submit to Satan. And don't. It's not what he said, but we were actually joking about the snooze button is the Satan button. How many of you know that's true? Tuesday morning at 6, just come. Help us cultivate an atmosphere that releases God's kingdom and see what that does within your own life. Hey, folks, this all begins by you surrendering to the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. I'm not trying to make you religiously zealous. Let's go do great things on behalf of God. Let's surrender our hearts and lives to the Lord and see what he might do through our surrender. That's what this is about. So let's do that. In your way, deepen your surrender.
If the Holy Spirit is addressing neglect in your life, just lift both your hands. We just surrender. Lord, you're so gracious. You're so loving. When we drift into a place of neglect in any area of our pursuit of God, any area of our family, any area of our, uh, any area of our lives, you're so gracious to draw us back. set our faith in agreement and we say as a family Lord we want to grow in a deeper surrender to the cross of Jesus Christ as our way of life you came you lived you died but you are risen from the grave you're who you say you are you're the savior of the world and we acknowledge we desperately need you to rescue us from our sins and to rescue us from ourselves the cross of Christ, Lord, we acknowledge you are our King. Come on, if that's your declaration, would you just give the Lord Jesus Christ a standing ovation? Let's just stand to our feet and honor this King and declare, Jesus, you are Lord. You are Lord. Come on, a little deeper. A little deeper coming from a deeper place. <laughs> Jesus, you are Lord. Thank you, Lord. You are awakening a deeper surrender today. Your kingdom come, Lord. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Oklahoma City as it is in heaven. come to a deeper place. So I encourage you this week, take some steps. Whatever that looks like in all of our context, just take some steps and move forward. If you are not connected, we want to walk you through that process. We're about to have our welcome to the family that happens once a year. This is not a pitch and a promo and a marketing piece. This is like family, family of God. Like we come to know Christ, we surrender to the cross of Jesus, and then we become family. And if we can connect with you on anything deeper in the pursuit of God, we're going to have water baptism next Sunday. Man, last weekend, unfortunately, I, I wasn't able to be there for the event, but I just want to say thanks to Jamal for your uh, leadership and all of that and helping us get that going here, right here on our campus to have a block party and so much going on. Somebody showed up last Sunday and they wanted to be baptized. And we didn't realize they were showing up to be baptized, so we weren't ready for them. But we're going to be ready. They're coming back next week. We're going to be baptize them in water, or two weeks. Two weeks. So if you want to be baptized, this is the way to do that. You just fill out a Connect card. We'll follow up. We'll get in touch with you. We're going to have uh, Discover Destiny. 
community group starting in the beginning of the year. We'll start to talk more about that. But if you've not walked through this journey with us, that's what this is all about. It is just about surrendering more fully to Him. So let's take just a moment in worship as our, you know, we just typically conclude this way. It's not, it's not the band plays while we're done and we leave. Take what God's awakening in your heart right now and would you just take all that and let's just worship just for a few moments before we're dismissed and a couple of things to be spoken. Let's bring all that to Him in a place of worship before our King.